CRM has been proven to limit sales reps' responsiveness, persistency, and cadence. It's a design flaw, and it's losing you deals. That is why today's sales leaders use sales engagement platforms like VanillaSoft. Check it out. Go to VanillaSoft.com and start your free trial. August 23rd, 2019, San Francisco. The Sales Development Conference. The third annual conference focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. Join over 500 of the most influential sales development leaders in our industry for a full day of learning, networking, and growing your skills. This year, we're offering three learning tracks focused on sales development leadership, rep training, and our newest track dedicated to sales and marketing operations. Grab your tickets today before it sells out over at tenbound.com conference. That's tenbound.com conference. See you August 23rd. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am stoked to get the next guest on the show. I heard him on another podcast that's put out by Outreach, which is a, an amazing podcast as well. And I wanted to dive into some of the topics that he was mentioning and, and learn a bit more about him and make sure that you guys are introduced. This is Nick Soros, Director of Sales Development over at Ignite. How are you doing today, Nick? Hey, I'm doing great, David. Thanks for having me on board. Yeah, I feel like maybe this is part two of the the sales engagement podcast that you did with Outreach, which was amazing interview. Nick, if if folks have not listened to that one yet or are not familiar, can you give us a bit of background how you got into sales development and what you're doing over at Ignite? Yeah, no, I think that's a good place to start. Well, so if I look back in my uh, in my career history, I, I actually started doing a door to door, one hundred percent commission position where you you got. You got basically dressed up in a suit and tie every single day, and you literally carried a bag and went business to business selling office supplies on 100% commission. That's where I started. And, you know, I didn't know whether or not that was, a, you know, a terrible sales job or a good one. It was just my first one. It was my first exposure. And so, I mean, ultimately, yeah, it was a tough job. But what was great about it was they did a ton of sales training, and that sales training actually set me up for success later on in my career in sales development. After about two years of doing that, I recognized I could make more money doing other things. And I came across a little company called Success Factors. They were looking for a sales development rep to do their mid-market stuff. You know, and I thought to myself, hang on a second, I can make more money. I don't have to be in person and I can just pick up the phone and do this. <laughs> Save the mileage on my car. I thought that was huge. So, you know, that's where I started back in the day. And I was early at Success Factors. I was employee 134. And, you know, what was great about that was I got to watch the organization grow. And throughout my tenure of about five and a half years, I moved up the ranks and got more sales exposure. And I just got hooked into the whole world of tech sales and uh, the impact it would have on companies and traversed from that organization to a company called ServiceMax, which now is owned by GE. I mean, I was there for going on six and a half years. That was a fantastic experience. It was built off of the foundation of a lot of the leadership from success factors. So it was a natural fit for me. That was my first exposure into actually building a team under sales development. And I really took, you know, a lot of cues from my past and kind of employed them into, you know, what the position of SDR really is and what it should be. And then from there, I ended up here at Ignite through actually a mutual connection that used to work at ServiceMax in my early one or two years there. He was an AE and he came here, became the VP of sales. And, you know, I haven't looked back since. I've just continued a lot of that ethos and a lot of the philosophy into sales development and just kind of evolved it over time to what it is today. 
Interesting. So you said, I mean, this going from door to door sales, that, this is really interesting. So you saved uh, mileage on your car and on your shoes, right? Because you didn't have to walk. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute, yeah. I could do this inside. Now you said that, that your sales training was really, really important and it's helped you throughout your career. So what, w- what was that like, you know, as far as the program that they put together and why did it make such an impact on you? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I think it was very old school looking back, right? So hindsight's always twenty twenty. But, you know, when I was doing it, it felt natural, which was every single morning. It was three hours every single morning as a group. We'd all get together and there was a series of exercises we would go through and perfect over the course of a week. And it was a lot of role play. It was a lot of situational stuff. It was a lot of, you know, objection handling. It was a lot of creating value and find, you know, the problem that the person needs to be solved and insert you as the, as the solution to that. And so, you know, it was it uncomfortable. Absolutely. But, you know, they did a really good job of helping me recognize that, your comfort level needs to needs to grow. Otherwise, you won't grow as a salesperson. And so that means stepping outside of that radius and experiencing, you know, some pressure. And through that process enough times, you're kind of prepared for anything that's going to be thrown at you. Well, in theory, I do have a couple of stories where I had some weapons pulled out on me, but that's for another podcast. <laughs> But (laughs) that you have to go to, you know, boot camp in the army, right? To get ready for that. Okay. Got it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But your comfort zone, because you were put into these intense three hour sessions, your comfort zone started to expand. And then when you hit the streets, you were like, oh, okay. We actually had practice this. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you developed a thick skin, not just from that, but you know, it was a high turnover position. So the longer I stayed in it, maybe I'm just kind of stubborn, but the longer that I stayed in it and watched others drop off, I took pride in that, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So for me, it was kind of like, it was a challenge that I, I really wanted to conquer on my own terms. And I wanted to you know, take everything that I was learning and and really make it a, a strong foundational sales process for myself. And, you know, look, I, I didn't make the most amount of money in the world doing that role, but I wouldn't have exchanged that experience for anything looking back because it, it created a sense of humility for me. It made me gracious for what I have today. I think it helped just put me in a better mindset for everything I did in, in the future from that point on, because, you know, until you've done it, you know, it's really like I just see a lot of people today not not really appreciating what they have. Like, for example, you know, a lot of SDR teams today have, you know, five to 10 different tools to help them do what, you know, pick up the phone and call or email. And it's, you know, for me, I look back and I go, I didn't have any of that. <laughs> I had a phone book, uh, you know, I had whatever I had. I just, it was very, very minimal. And it was, you know, all my success was built off of the effort I put into it. And, you know, I, I really think, you know, my mentors that I had back then that really guided me and, and helped me have that experience and put it to practice. Okay. So you touched on a lot of interesting things. So one, what, what the first thing is that training culture, I mean, three hours a day, like I feel like in this industry, I'm kind of in the bubble of the Bay area tech industry, but in this industry, if you suggested that people would just laugh, they'd be like, I just pick up the phone oh, no. and call, you know, but I mean, what, is that an old school 
mentality that is just gone now because it seems like that that kind of commitment is what really helped you. But if you if you suggest that today, people would just laugh. Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think you're right on that. And it and it's too bad. But here's here's a couple of leading indicators, at least for me, that kind of keeps me sane. So on my teams, one of the things that even from the very start, every time I connect for the first time, even with a candidate interviewing for a position, I let them know, you know, this is not the type of SDR role where you're going to come on board. We're going to throw you a computer and a desk and a phone and go figure it out. This is a role where you can expect to have continuous training, development, coaching, directing, mentoring eventually. I mean, all those things are are absolutely integral to the success of the position, but it requires that candidate slash, you know, new hire to really come into the role understanding what I'm asking, which is I'm going to meet you halfway. And that's a big investment for the company side of stuff. If you really quantify all that that entails, right, that's a big investment. And what I need from you is to take that seriously and not view the SDR position as a stepping stone to the role you really want, right? It's not a prerequisite. It's not something that you just take on until you get the, you know, the thing you really want and you're just going to have to like muster up the energy to just get through it. I mean, if that's how you feel, then you know, you're going to struggle and you're probably not going to work out. And so I make sure people know that up front. And as it pertains to the, you know, that training culture, I mean, I've integrated that more or less into how, you know, our everyday stuff is today. But, you know, back then, I mean, that was just the norm. And I can tell now through interviewing so many, I mean, I don't even know how many hundreds or thousands of people I've interviewed over the years, but when I do talk to them, I always ask questions around, you know, what's your expectation in the first month or two? Like, what, how do you see this going for you? And it's funny because most of them have been interviewing at other companies too. And they all kind of say something similar. They're, they're expecting, you know, to get, you know, maybe a few days of online training or maybe like a boot camp or something. And then that's it. Right. And then their, their next question is, what about advancement? <laughs> you oh, know? Yes. Yes. And it just, because again, their mindset is, how do I, how do I get through this thing? And I always tell people the same thing, which is, look, the skill sets, all the achievements you're going to have, and all the things you're going to be exposed to as an SDR successfully are going to make you a stronger salesperson when you graduate from this role to the next. And those roles will come to you as a latent function to all the hard work and not just hard work, but the right hard work that produces the right results for you over time. Okay. So as part of your, what you're saying as part of your recruiting process, you're just straight up with them. You're like, this is a lot different than your average run of the mill SDR job. Now, do you ever, do people ever hear that? And then you just never hear from them again. They're like, I'm done. See ya. You know, I mean, I'm sure it's happened, but it, it doesn't happen often when it, if it does, I mean, I, I can't think of any recent instances, but I can tell you that people want to know that they're going to be continuously educated. I, I think that that gives them comfort because let's just be clear. I mean, the SDR world attracts usually a younger professional, right? And so these are folks with maybe no experience right out of college or little experience, maybe one or two other jobs. And so that's the typical profile. And so they're coming from 
a background where they were just a student. Like that's what they knew. They understood, you know, there's time allocated to actually being, you know, educated or taught. And then there's time where they got to go do stuff in order to engage with that educational process. That was their background. And now they, they get flipped into the real world. And, you know, I think a lot of what they've found is most organizations, though they might kind of suggest there's training, they don't mean it's ongoing. They don't mean it's a supportive measure. They just mean it's something that we're going to check a box and then it's up to you to figure out and then get through this. And if you do, then there's a prize at the end of the tunnel. And so I just try to explain to candidates, you know, look, I, I want to leverage what you were just part of, which is, you know, you were just a student. I want to take that studious mindset, but I also want you to get good at, you know, coinciding that mindset with actual practice of that education, like put it to practice bring in results. Like those two things can't be separated. I want to bring them together because if we do that, then a year from the day you start, you're going to look back and go, wow, I learned a ton. I've come a long way. And if you think about it, that's what's rewarding for people. It's to know that they're progressing because all SDRs want to feel is that, you know, they want to make money, of course, and they all say that they're money motivated. That's part of it. But I think what they really want is they want to feel like they're progressing towards something. And when they can feel it because they, you know, they're putting in the, the right work and they can see the results trickling out of that, then, you know, they, they stay engaged. And that's what, you know, I think is a great way for a company to invest in somebody. And, you know, obviously they go on to do other things in the organization, whether it's sales or some other role. And, you know, we all win as shareholders. I love it. It reminds me of a quote. I don't know who said it, but it's like, you know, real success is the progressive realization of a worthwhile goal, you know? And I think you get, you kind of start to drift in your life if you don't have some worthwhile goal that you can see meaningful progression toward. And I feel like that happens a lot in the SDR role because they're just like, this job is really, really hard. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not in line for promotion. Like, what am I doing? Next thing you know, you know, they're, they burn out. Well, and, and the magic word you just mentioned is is goal, right? I think an organization of, I think companies all around the world have tried. They've tried to help, whether we're talking about salespeople in general and just anybody in the organization as a whole, learn how to set goals, right? They talk about smart goals, they give examples, but goal setting and goal accountability, like like that's hard. That's what I think a lot of people are missing. And, and I've had SDRs go, all right, you're telling me, Nick, I got to create goals. Got it. And the thing is, they don't write them down. They, they just kind of have them in their brains. They don't share them with anybody. So whether they hit them or they don't, you know, or whether they're the right goal or they're not, nobody knows. There's no accountability. And that's the, that's the missing component to all of it. So I, I try my best to help everybody around me understand, like, like look, goals are meant to be difficult but they need to be something that we're tracking towards. And if you do it in the right ways, you know, whether you hit it or not, okay, that, you know, that might be a feather in your cap, but you're going to learn something on the journey to, to that goal, you know, end date. Right. So I, I like to use working out as an example, right? If you go to the gym once and expect, you know, get shredded, <laughs> that's the wrong goal. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, so how do you get there? Well, all right. You have to dedicate, you know, a lifestyle to working out, which also means not just going to the gym, it means sleeping right, eating right, you know, 
looking at your workouts as something that evolves and progresses over time based on your effort. You can't you can't just go, well, I showed up. I mean, just showing up, you can be listening to your iPod and socializing half the time and be done with it, but you didn't get anything out of it. So it's the same thing in business. I mean, you're coming into work every day. We have goals. I mean, yeah, the, the quotas and all that stuff are there, but break it down. What, what do you want to accomplish today? And, and the thing that I use constantly to, to help people keep it sort of sane in their brains is go measure yourself not on how many hours went by in your work day, but measure yourself on what you accomplished that day. Because if you do that, then you can start to quantify your efforts and you know move the needle. Got it. Okay. And then another thing that you mentioned was mentoring. Mentoring made a big impact on your life. So, so say, just taking it through the scenario, you recruited someone who's on the same page as you. They know that this is going to be a training intensive and coaching intensive environment. They're really excited. And, and then how do you work with them to impart that mentorship or, you know, how do you think about mentorship and the daily kind of guidance that you give to the team? Yeah, that that's a really strong question. I think a lot of leaders are trying to figure that out. And my take on it is this. I don't think you can force mentorship every time. I, I, I think it's something that will happen when the relationship is built off the right stuff and it's there. So, you know, I, I can give you an example I did hire an SDR maybe about, this was about a year and a half ago, two years ago at this point. And, you know, for the first few months, he didn't report directly to me. He reported to a manager on my team. But for the first few months, he just came off as fake to me. He just was always kind of too chippery and happy. And, and like, I mean, that's good. I mean, it's good for culture and stuff. But I kind of felt like, you know, maybe his motivations weren't quite right or whatever to engage with me. So it was kind of rubbing me off the wrong way. I mean, I'm human, right? So I'm thinking, okay, all right, all right, guy, it's all good. But what happened was over time, I started to recognize that, you know, he, he would come to me with more impactful questions as it pertained to his goals. And he would share with me like, hey, look, I'm trying to do, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. I want to get your take on it. And I started to appreciate the fact that he had put thought into this. And, you know, we started to build more or less a, a great working relationship where, he started to recognize I wanted to support him and I wanted to be his biggest fan. And that gave him more confidence in pushing harder. And so here's what happened was I started noticing he would come in earlier and stay later. Matter of fact, he wasn't really paying attention to the clock, which was great. He would start to, he wasn't afraid to pick up the phone. That fear of phone started to dissipate and he would just he would be loud. And when I mean loud is, you know, what happens with SDRs typically in the beginning is they pick up the phone. There's, this is their volume. But then the second they get on the phone, it just drops like about a third. (laughs) Right. For him, he just, he he didn't do that anymore. And he would, he would stop off the phone call and come to me and go, all right, did you hear that? What did you think? And I, I just loved it. And so we built this relationship off of a lot of those different moments over time. It wasn't something forced, but I recognize that he would actually value my perspective and he took it to heart. I would give him specific examples to to adjust, to change. I mean, this guy would write it in his notebook in front of me. And then the next day I would start to see the changes implemented. And so at that point in time, our like our connection, I think, entered into the mentorship realm. And 
So today he actually doesn't work for me. We were going to promote him, but he wanted a manager position and he found one with a different company. And I fully, you know, I fully supported him in that because I, you know, like I, I didn't have that open head count at the time. And I think that was a great opportunity for him to jump on. And I look at it as that is an outcome that came from all the discussions we had and all the strategy sessions and all the training stuff we did and and all the hard work he put into it based on the advice I gave him. And I, you know, I'm, I'm proud of him. So, so he really took ownership of it. And he, it sounds like he was very coachable in that you would give him something and he would go and try it and then report back, Hey, that worked or that, that, that I'm trying something different. And so in a mentorship situation, it sounds like Whoever wants the mentor should take ownership over the situation versus trying to force a mentorship program on the team. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at it like, show us you care. Okay. And, and you know, when, when I mean show me you care, it's like, show me that you care about what we're trying to do more than you care about leaving at 4.30 because it's Friday and you want to go hang out with your friends. I mean, I get we all have lives and outside of work, but but show me you care, like do little things, show me that you're writing down notes, you know, something like as small as that, it goes a long way. Because if you're doing that, then, you know, it, it's these little incremental things that show me you're trying to be more professional, and you actually want to change something about your current reality. Those are, you know, those are very different behaviors than you would get from, you know, most SDRs where, you know, they're going, okay, cool, from, you know, the morning hours of, you know, 7.38 a.m. to about 4 or 5 p.m., you know, I'm doing calls and sending emails and all that. And then outside of that, it's my personal life. And they just kind of structure their lives around that. And, you know, they're not, they're not really thinking about, like, they don't really care. Here's a funny little thing I'll, I'll mention. They don't really care, I think, at the end of the year, you know, whether, like what they did 12 months ago, but somebody who cares is going to go, no, no, I care about every single month, how I performed and what I did to improve. And I, you know, did I, did I get better at overturning objections? Do I understand positioning better and personas and industry verticals? And because they, they see that as a value add for their future career paths. And here's one thing I really love. And maybe this is because we're fresh off of our current SKO for the year, but I love sales kickoffs because that's when it all comes together and, and smacks people in the face. You have a sales kickoff and there's an award dinner ceremony. Everybody's dressed up to the nines and looking great and feeling great. And all of a sudden they start calling people up to get recognized for all their hard work. And if you weren't recognized, that's when you start to see people like, you know, uneasy in their chairs and, clapping, but kind of like staring into the distance, you know, some people maybe even just a little bit, you know, just a little salty. I mean, I, I saw it this year. I've seen it every year and it's normal because they start to self-reflect and go, well, why, why am I not up there? Why did I not do enough? Like, what is it about that guy that was so great? I mean, yeah, sure. He got the results, but I mean, I, I work hard too. Like they start to understand that they could have done more. It's just a hard reality to hit them right then. For me, I think that's great because if you don't if you don't have a way to be realistic with yourself, I mean, you know, at what point can you measure your own success, right? Are you in sales, but you're not using a sales engagement tool? Then you're probably losing out on revenue because you are not engaging with prospects at the right time, with the right cadence, and with enough persistency. You need VanillaSoft. 
Start your free trial today. Go to VanillaSoft.com. Yeah, it's 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 a report card. I mean, it's interesting because I've got kids, and you know, they bring home progress reports and and report cards, and it's like, yeah, I mean, in sales, you kind of have a report card <laughs> almost about how yeah. you're doing, and that SKO dinner is like that's your big final report card, and you're just like, oh <laughs> shit, I got all all C's, C's and D's. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's, I mean, for SDRs, I mean, it like. One way to get really into the job, I, I love what you're saying. Like, don't don't just like walk through your life like a zombie and uh, like just be thinking about becoming an AE. One way to get really into your your life and what you're doing is learn the industry of who you're calling into. Like, that's a whole that opens up like a whole world. Like, Ignite is you know a high security you know, file sharing, et cetera. I know that I'm totally mangling it, but there's a certain buyer that buys Ignite or looks at Ignite, uh, for example, that there's a whole world of opportunity of learning right there for every SDR in your team, because you can learn about that industry and what concerns them and stuff and how to talk to them, right? Yeah, you're not, you're not wrong on that. And actually on, the, on my LinkedIn profile, I, I wrote a couple of articles talking about sales development. And one of the articles is the five things that SDRs need to know when interviewing. And I actually touch on that exact subject, which is because I've done so many interviews, so many, and you just hear so many of the similar mistakes over and over again. And you just think, why don't they see it from my point of view? Right. Like yeah. it's almost like people wake up in the day in the morning of the interview and go, I'm just going to wing this thing and I'm just going to let my personality shine and get me over the, the finish line. When as a hiring manager, you're thinking, I want the best person for the role. And it doesn't have to be anything crazy. You just want people to recognize the industry that they're trying to be part of and give me a sense that, you know, you've done research enough to show me you care about it and you want to be part of it. So at the interview level, that's what it is. Now you congratulations, you got the job. Guess what? You still have to do that same thing with your prospects. If you're calling into oil and gas, well, guess what? They've got very specific terminology and verbiage. And if you don't know how to use that, and if you don't understand their challenges, and if you don't know the persona that you're talking to, or you send them the wrong marketing content and collateral and all, I mean, you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot. But again, you know, do you care enough to figure all that stuff out? That's right. where, you know, I, I think people struggle. They, they don't realize that's where the hard work is. It's in preparation for all that and, and investing in their prospects and investing in those industries. It's not about what you're selling. It's about who you're selling to and what they care about, what they're dealing with, what their challenges are. Exactly. And I always tell people, I mean, it's going to help you no matter what you do. Say you say you want to be an SDR the rest of your life. Dude, it's going to help you to learn everything you can about the industry. Say you want to do something in sales or become a sales leader, become a marketer, whatever you want to do, you're going to have to know the ins and outs of the industry. So start there. But I love that. Now, let me ask you, I got a couple of things I want to ask you. So if you're a middle manager, like you're an SDR manager listening to this, and you want a mentor from somebody else in the organization, like the VP of sales or the head of marketing, for example, you want a mentor, what should they do as a manager to, to so it doesn't come across that they're trying to like brown nose or something like that? Like they just want some mentorship and some guidance because their job is really hard. 
Yeah. I, well, I always say, and this is to the managers that report to me too. I mean, like whether they want to come to me or somebody else in the organization, I think that's fine. I mean, we all have to take ownership of the fact that your company is your opportunity. And what ultimately really matters is that we all do our part in order to get the company successful and over the finish line. And so if we were on a football team, you know, maybe we all have different roles, right? Maybe we got, you know, maybe like there's a quarterback and then there's a running back and they're close to each other, but they do different things. But if the linemen don't do their part and open up a hole, guess what? We all lose as a team together. So if there's a manager listening who's thinking, well, how do I get mentorship? And I don't, you know, maybe I don't feel comfortable going to my director or my VP or whatnot. You got to find somebody that you look through the organization and go, I trust what that person, like how that person thinks. I can see what that person does for his or her team. And I understand, you know, their way of thinking. I connect with it. I think a mentor doesn't have to be your, your boss. It can be anybody that you believe in. But I also would say that you got to also be realistic too and take note that, and this is just my experience. Maybe I'm totally wrong, David, but sometimes, you know, a lot of leaders from other departments or even CEOs of companies, they don't really understand sales development as well as they should. And so they give a lot of advice that is from their perspective in which they think they understand the sales development world. And sometimes those two things can clash. So VPs of sales oftentimes will give, you know, a sales perspective, but if they've never done sales development themselves, they may not recognize certain nuances and and that, you know, can get a little bit weird, right? I mean, we don't want to, we, we don't want to spawn, you know, sales admins, right? For AEs, we want sales development reps, which are, I kind of categorize the sales development rep as, you know, part lawyer, part detective, you know, you know, a little, you know, part marketer too. I mean, there's, we have, we wear a lot of hats as SDRs. So it's hard to understand that world if you've never done it. So, you know, it's all within reason, but yeah, find somebody that you connect with and you believe in. I, I was lucky enough, even at ServiceMax, you know, the, the current CEO of ServiceMax and the prior CEO of ServiceMax were mentors of mine and they were amazing. I mean, but mind you, you know, even the current CEO, he started at a similar place as I did. And so he knew how to give me advice that would help me at each stage of the game. He didn't tell me things that, you know, were were just these far off goals and said, like, kind of figure it out. No, he would go like, look, right now you need to focus on A, B, and C. That's what's important. Learn. He would say stuff like learn how to say no to things because you want to make everybody happy and you can't, right? Don't spread yourself thin. I mean, it's like those little things got me through a lot of times and at the end got the reward because we would hit our goals in the right ways. So you got to make sure that you get the right mentor. And it's so it's nuanced. I mean, because you got to have some kind of connection with the person and, and but if they're giving you the wrong advice or they're just like oh in my day you know we used to do it this way you know that, that's not gonna work because yeah. like you right. said sales development has so many different facets but really quickly where does the lawyer part come in that's that's interesting like is that the questioning or the research like how do you how do you equate with the lawyering yeah you know i get asked that a lot <laughs> well here's here's how i think about it you know with prospects a lot of times, you know, when SDRs are learning how to be SDRs and they're, you know, they're, they're a little bit scared to challenge their prospects, they're just going to ask stuff like, well, what do you use today and what is your problem? And that's not that's not being, you know, the lawyer side of stuff. When you're a lawyer, 
you're setting them up for something, right? So it's, it's in how you're questioning. So, all right, so tell me, what is your current environment? You know, you might already kind of know, but you're asking the question and you're kind of setting the stage. And tell me about what your business objectives are for the year. Okay. And how are you planning on achieving that? Oh, so, you know, you're still figuring that out, but we're halfway through the year. Well, what if there was a solution that could help align all those things for you, right? So you're, you're starting to, to state your case. And then you also have to be a little bit of a mathematician in there because you got to help quantify value for them. And, and by doing that, I call it building the business case. Building the business case is where, you know, you, you help structure the value of what you're trying to accomplish to them in a way that shows them that there's real monetary value in it. And it could just be, it doesn't have to be like, you know, to the dollar or anything, but you can just say like, look, you're, you're in a project-based business. You guys make more money when you take on more projects per year, right? So what if we made your guys more efficient? You wouldn't have to hire anybody else. And in a year, you do more projects, aka you'd make more revenue. We can help you do that. That's the business case side of stuff. And you can't do that without being really good at qualifying and really good at understanding the, the picture of their current environment, the different facets from the different point of views from the main stakeholders and decision makers. You know, it's not one person anymore. I mean, organizations need a lot of people nodding their heads. Yes. Before they spend, you know, a few hundred grand. Right. So guess what? That means that there's a lot of different POVs involved in, in coming up to any decision for a solution. So you got to educate yourself with their, not just their, their industry, but also educate yourself with their challenges and tell them, be prescriptive, right? Those are all things that I think lawyers do, or at least on TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this is, uh, you know, we're asking a lot from people that are coming right out of school to be this sophisticated. And it's like, Man, I, I wish that I wish that people would stick around in sales development because it's such a hard job. And and you know what you're describing with a good training program and coaching and a good manager, yes, you can definitely get people there really really quickly. But gosh, I mean, it's just from and especially all the investment in finding people and training them and coaching them and stuff like that to have them leave the organization. I think that's one of the biggest challenges of being a sales development manager because you're basically you know you're you're bailing out a boat that has a big hole in the bottom kind of to some extent yeah so yeah and and you know i would also say that you know when you say we're asking a lot out of them i mean i, I don't know if i agree i mean yeah it's it's a lot but if you think about it sdrs get paid a lot of money these days i mean my first sdr role i mean it was like 35 grand a year <laughs> you know yeah. like Totally. SDRs today, especially in Silicon Valley, are getting paid upwards to hundred grand. And I think to myself, is that, you know, is it too much? Because all we're asking for is build interest over time. Help somebody recognize that what you're doing can impact them in a positive way and then connect them to a rep and let the rep help, you know, drive the, the selling part. But you got to help generate the interest. Where I think the, the disconnect happens, and you could tell during an interview when you say, okay, you've had an SDR position before, great. What was your quota? And if they say something crazy like 30 or 40 a month or something like that, that tells me that they weren't really an SDR. They weren't really that, that lawyer slash mathematician slash marketer slash whatever. They were just basically yes, no, got to go, cold calling. And, and you know, look, anybody can set a meeting maker, right, and throw it over a fence and not know where it went. 
But what to those organizations, I ask, okay, say you got an SDR that's that's meeting your objectives and, and hitting 110%, 200%, 300%. That's great. Do they become your best salespeople? Because if the answer is no, well, then what are you grooming them for, right? Because they still got to learn all this other stuff, right? Yeah, and and I mean, it's just a very transactional chop shop, you know, just grind it out. And it's like, you can't, you can't put them into an AE role. I mean, you know, cause it's just, they're, they're just doing one tenth of the AE job at that point. They don't have the requisite experience. So then they probably get frustrated. Like, how come I'm not getting promoted here? I've actually seen that scenario play out uh, quite a bit. So, okay. We're running up against the hour. I got one other thing for you, Nick. SDR comes to you. They say, you know, I've been trying everything, everything you've been giving me, nothing's working. And I'm, I'm getting behind, I'm falling behind. What should I do? What goes through your head when you hear that? Because I hear that a lot. And I'm sure that people on the call are either going through that right now, or they hear that from their team. What's your thought process when you hear that, that statement? Yeah, that's the holy grail of a question to answer, right? I think if every leader had that perfect answer, I mean, we'd be we'd be in a different place, right? But here, here's what I think. Here's what I think is, yeah, people people struggle, right? That's that's okay. I mean, I tell my SDRs, look, you're gonna have a bad month here and there for lots of different reasons, but you gotta stay to the goal. What is the goal? The goal is to build your funnel filled with people that you've been working that are generating interest over time. And what I mean by that is it's all about the phone connects and don't have the goal. And a lot of SDRs do this, even after you've told them a million times, you know, they're trying to get one shot, one kill. They want to get one person on the phone and set that meeting. And that's great. But the reality is it's probably going to take three to eight touches on the phone to really generate the interest depending on the person, the problem, the industry, there's so many factors, right? But if you keep the objective in your mind, which is you got to build interest, you can't expect to to walk into a project. There's no projects, right? I mean, sure, every so often you're going to get lucky and they're going to go, oh my God, thanks for calling. I I was just thinking about this. And that's great when it happens, but you can't make your number consistently on that. So instead, if your quota, and we have quotas here at eight, right, per month, actually, we've just raised it to nine. But here's the thing, that's, a, that's still a low number if you've got pipeline, right? And so what you have to do is go, okay, if I can get to the point where I can see double the amount of completed meetings that are, you know, sales accepted per month, like at any given month, if I can go double that, so 16 or 17 or 18, because I've got that many people that are one or two phone calls away from being a yes, because, you know, I've been nurturing them by or educating them by, you know, exposing them to articles or white papers or, you know, webinars or what have you. That's when, guess what? The pressure goes down because you're, you've, you've spent the investment with those accounts in the right way. And you've built the relationships and you just got to get them live and you can tip them over the fence. So the pressure goes way down. When I think people are struggling, it's the opposite scenario. It's when, okay, the number's, you know, nine a month, but I can't even see nine people in my territory today that'll say, yes, I see three because you don't have that funnel built. 
your objective is, is not to build your funnel at that moment. Your objective was just to get people to say yes. And, and it's kind of like, yeah, you want that Ferrari, but you, but you can't pay for it yet because you don't have any money yet. So why is your objective to get the Ferrari? Your objective should be find a way to build your wealth, right? So change the goal and, and invest in it over a couple of months and you'll start to see the results trickle in. And, you know, I, I hear this a lot, David, where people go, I'm working really hard. And I just ask them to define it. Well, what do you mean you're working hard? What does that mean to you? Because I do see a lot of activities on the board, right? I'll see a lot of phone calls or emails sent. But if it's not the right phone calls at the right times to the right people, then what do they count for? And if you're sending emails and they're so generic and everybody sends the same email or leaves the same voicemail to me, so that's why I, I, I know this is pretty common practice. You know, hey, here's who we are. We're so great. Here are the three or four companies that you've heard of that we work with and you should care, right? If you're doing that, well, now you're not even differentiating yourself. So why would anybody sit up and take notice, right? So again, it's, it's about making those connections, investing in your prospects over time, helping them understand that you're trying to help them solve something that's important to their business. And when you get to the point where they're going, okay, you know, you, you've kind of piqued my interest. That's when you can capitalize on it and, and push them over the fence to a meeting. I like that. I like that. I mean, that's good advice for anybody who's struggling against that goal. I see that Ferrari. Why am I not there? You know, and getting more and more yep. frustrated. But it reminds me of a really good book that I read recently called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And it's basically like how to build really positive habits. And it goes into the science of habits. And when I when you were describing that, I was thinking of that because it's like, okay, you know what your goal is. You're not hitting your goal. Let's break it down to like tiny, tiny steps that you can take every day and and, and rack up some wins just by hitting those steps. And you, you mentioned, you know, getting people into your pipeline, talking to people, having more conversations, like let's bring it back to something that you can actually do today versus like, Oh, nothing's working. Like uh, I'm going to get fired, you know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, think, like think about your energy, right? Like how are you spending your energy? Are you putting 50% of your energy into feeling desperate because you don't got enough that month and then 50% into I'm going to lose my job? Or are you just putting the majority of your energy and focus into just, you know, getting people on the horn? And then when they pick up, play to win, like make use of that connection. Don't worry about, you know, any rejections. Push that out of your mind. Don't be fearful, like step out of your comfort radius and allow it to be a little bit uncomfortable for a minute, but you're there. So take advantage and see if you can grow that radius, you know, and look, I mean, all this stuff is, it's easy to say, it's hard to do. I, I recognize that, but that's also why not everybody makes it in the sales development world or even sales. I mean, a lot of people think they can do it. Some, some just can't, and that's okay. But I think that if you're going to be successful down this career path, you got to be willing to, to think differently. You got to be willing to have a little faith in your approach and, you know, apply things that, yeah, are, are going to make you feel uncomfortable at times. Right. My last thought was, you know, something one of my mentors once said to me is everything you do have a lot of fingerprints on it because then, you know, you win together or you lose together. Nobody's going to question you when you lose because they'll understand it. Right. Meaning like, you know, if you've run, hey, you know, boss or hair peer or whoever, I've got this situation at this account. Here's what it is. What do you think I should do? Okay, great. I'll go try that. Like by doing that and making it more visible and having more people's input, you know, here's what's great about it is if, if it works, 
you know, great, we're winning as a team and you've, you've grown your network, you've, you've grown your experience. And if it doesn't, nobody's going to say to you, oh, well, like it was your fault. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Cause so, it's a team anyway. effort at that point. And, and, and one other quick thing, Nikki, that you mentioned was grit and how you kind of had to slug it out at the beginning to, and, and you lasted longer than other people. And that gave you a sort of a sense of pride. And it seems like, you know, not to be like an old curmudgeon here, but it's just like, <laughs> you know, that is something that's still super important, you know, being able to tough this out during the harder time so that you can get to the, the promised land. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, I, I would say, you know, whether you're the janitor or the CEO of a company, like just be the best at that role that you can be and opportunities will end up at your footsteps. I mean, that's, that's kind of what happens. Right. And, you know, I take pride in, in the fact that I was willing to do whatever it took to be successful, even though it was hard, but my expectation was that it was going to be hard. And I think today, a lot of people think it's not going to be hard, even though they say it, they, you know, it's kind of like, and I've said this so many times to people, even in interviews, you know, I've said, look, it's like we're standing at the base of Mount Everest, right? If I asked you the question, is this climb going to be difficult? You're probably going to say, yeah, it's going to be tough. But if I asked you the same question in past tense at the summit, what would your answer be then? Would it be the same or would it be much different? <laughs> You'd be like, holy crap, right? So because you're experiencing it, the emotions are tied. But you, But here's the thing. The difference is the motivation has to be there. You have to care. You have to apply yourself. You can't just go, well, if it doesn't work out at this J-O-B, I'll just go to the next one. Or I'll do this until one that pays better comes along. Or maybe there's an opportunity at another company. Like if anybody's thinking that way, their energy is spent on focusing on all the wrong objectives. I keep telling people like, look, whatever it is you do, just focus on it and, and give it 100%. Don't dip a toe, jump in. And see where you end up, because I think most people, no matter what it is that they do, if they really applied themselves, they'd be a lot more successful, be a lot less headache in the process, and they'd make more money along the way and feel good about themselves. But, you know, if they're if they're just kind of half assing it along the way, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people do that for a lot of reasons. Well, yeah, I mean, what, what, what did you expect would happen? Right. So that's why even when you see SDRs going from one wrong job to the next, to the next, to the next, they're not looking at it as a career. I mean, it all compounds. Yeah. Well, I think I got to say that your team is great to have someone with your perspective as the leader. And, and I think folks are going to get a ton of value out of this, opening up your mind a little bit and your philosophy. Nick, really appreciate it. Hey, if, if anyone wants to connect with you, what's the best way to get in touch? Yeah. So LinkedIn's great. Nick Saros at LinkedIn, or they can reach me first initial last name at ignite.com as well. But David, I, you know, thank you for having me on. This has been a blast. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think you probably get some folks who self-select to try to be on your team because I think it's a very unique philosophy and, you know, it's not, it's not every day that people run a team like this. So you might get a few applications <laughs> based on this interview. <laughs> well, we're hot. Yeah. So nice. All good. <laughs> All right, Nick, I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks, David. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. 
If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.